Well, my name's Stephen, and I'm one of the pastors here. And happy Father's Day to all you dads. Uh, I saw that, and I can think of which end of the spectrum I'll probably be on. Um, and I'll leave that up to your imagination, which one I'll be. Uh, it's probably the pizza ordering variety, but you know, uh, maybe grilling if I'm really forced into it. You'll have that. Yes, exactly. I'll be the best at ordering the pizza. Exactly. Uh, well, today we're going to be ending our spring series. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark for the past couple of months, and we've been focusing on the things in our life that Jesus is greater than. And at the beginning of the series, do you guys remember, anybody remember me handing, well, I guess we put it in your bulletins, this little card for you to fill out uh, that said, Jesus, in my life, I need you to be greater than fill in the blank. How many of you filled something out? Did anybody pray for it for the last couple of months? Hopefully you did. I won't judge if you didn't. But I've been praying for him. I promised you I would, and I did. Uh, and what, we, what I asked you to write down on those cards was situations in your life that kind of feel overwhelming. The day-to-day the -day stuff that just weighs really heavily on you, uh, the difficulties, the things that can at times almost bring a little bit of hopelessness, uh, that can kind of threaten to, to choke the joy out of life because you're so aware of those things that are weighing on you. And as we've been praying for those, we've been praying that Jesus would show up, that Jesus would show his greatness in your life in the situations that you have. Uh, I won't say any specifics about what any of you wrote, but a lot of you wrote down stuff relating to your kids, issues that, that you know, relationally or things that they're dealing with, you wrote down dealing with, uh, you wrote down financial needs that just don't seem to go away. Some mental and emotional difficulties and illnesses that weigh really heavy on you on a day-to-day -day basis. Just things you're looking to find healing and freedom from in your life. All kinds of serious issues that we as followers of Jesus struggle with. And I think often in the middle of struggling with them, we, we believe that Jesus is, is powerful. We believe kind of up here that Jesus is greater than, but in the day-to-day, they're so big, they loom so large that sometimes it just kind of feels like it's threatening to overwhelm us a little bit in the moment. And, you know, just this week, I've been struggling with this reality, and I'm sure many of you have as well. Uh, we're in the adoption process through the state, which means that we have to choose our kids, which is like the most overwhelming decision that you could possibly ever make. <laughs> Like you have to look at something and say whether or not you want them to come to your house. Like, ah, how do I make this decision? And so we're in the part of the process where that decision is having to be made and where they give you like 200 pieces of paper that tell you like every random detail about a child that you could ever kind of not want to read because it's so much that's there. And then you talk to all the people in their life. And all week I've just kind of been a little frozen, if we're going to be honest, in this like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make this sort of decision in life. And just kind of dealing with my own weaknesses and the awareness that I have of my own weakness in that, looking towards becoming a dad, which is kind of a weird thing uh, to, to realize, especially a dad of kids that can talk back to me and like have a say in what's going on. It's not just the diapers, it's the other stuff. 
And Sarah all week has been kind and gracious and has said, you know, like everybody thinks you're going to be a great dad. And you know what my unkind and ungracious response is? But they don't know what's up here. No one else hears this. No one else gets to know like what's going on between these ears. The thoughts that I have, the struggles that I have, the weaknesses that I have, that I deal with all the time. No one else hears that and sees that and kind of lives that out. So it's nice that that everybody thinks that, but how do I deal with this? Like where's the answer in that? I've been struggling to see that, you know, I just keep coming to Jesus this week and saying, like, I know that you're greater than my own weaknesses, but if we're being honest right now, I'm not quite sure that I'm buying into it completely. I'm struggling with that, that part of the owning Jesus's greatness in my life and the things that feel big. We're all in that boat. We're all struggling with different types of things that just feel huge, that loom large. And this morning, I want to encourage us as we end this series, I want to change the wording a little bit from how I encouraged you to look at it when we went into this series. At the beginning, I I encouraged you to say, like, Jesus, I I really need you to do this. I need you to be bigger than this. And today, I want to encourage you to go from that need, from that asking, to knowing, to saying, Jesus, in my life, I know that you are. I just kind of, I got to stand on that reality. We've gone through the gospel of Mark. We've looked at stories week in and week out of Jesus being greater than all sorts of things in people's lives. Sickness, death at times, which is crazy, right? Poverty, fear, their own kind of uh, stress over time limits, various types of sin and brokenness that Jesus has shown himself to be greater than in the gospels in his life. And so today, I want to encourage you, take that step as we end this series to say in your heart, like, Jesus, I know that you are greater. And whatever that situation is, whatever that thing that's looming large is, He's not bigger than, he's, just not, he's not just overshadowing, but he's all-powerful in that situation. He's all-loving in that situation. He's completely greater than, he has total control, and he wants to give us good gifts in the middle of life that take away the fear, the anxiety, the worries that we have about life, about relationships, about each thing that's going on. Is that a good place to start this morning? That's where I want us to jump off from this morning. We're going to be in Mark 10. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open up to that. Uh, Mark 10, 13 through 16. Feel free to grab a Bible at the side. Uh, Oh, don't grab one over there. Uh, Grab them in the back as well. We're not going to charge you for them, don't worry. If you don't have a Bible, take it home. It's yours. Uh, But let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. We just say thank you for uh, your presence here with us. Thank you for what you're wanting to do in our hearts this morning. We do come to you with the realities of this week. Uh, We come to you with the things that we're struggling with, uh, with the things going on in our world, in our lives that we're just struggling with that into our thoughts all week. And we come to you asking for you to be greater asking for you to help us to take that step to reliance on your power, reliance on your control, reliance on your love in our lives. Help us to receive that from you this morning, Jesus. We just say thank you. 
come and be here with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Mark 10, 13 through 16. Let's read this together. It says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. And he said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on their heads, and blessed them. It's an interesting section that we, we have here. Jesus is almost kind of cryptic in his language, so I want to dig into kind of what he's telling us here about our attitude towards him and what kids have to do with it, because what's, what's the big deal over the kids? You know, Jesus makes a lot of things into teaching moments, I don't know if any of you as parents are the teaching moment type of parents. Uh, you might know what I mean by that. Anything that happens, you're like, great, let's sit down and talk about this. Let me ask you a lot of questions and get deeper into your heart to figure out what's going on underneath. Uh, but Jesus does this a lot. And in, in Jesus's time and their culture, like many cultures today and since whenever, kids weren't really highly valued. They were valued up to a certain point, but they were just kids, right? You know, they're, they're little, you know, kind of the seen but not heard uh, type of mentality was pretty common in, in their culture. And so the disciples kind of had a normal reaction to kids being brought to Jesus. He's talking to adults. You know, he's talking to somebody who can actually have a conversation with them. Leave them alone. Come back later when nobody's around. They're, they respond in a normal way. The kids are low man on the totem pole. They don't have status and prestige. And so when Jesus hears this, he immediately goes into teaching mode, and he begins to tell them more about who he is and what he values. And it becomes very clear very quickly that Jesus does not hold any value on age and socioeconomic status. Kids come to him without any status, right? Kids are all fairly equal. They're all on the same playing field. He doesn't care what their age is. He doesn't care what they can offer to him. He just wants them to come to him. And that's the same thing for us today. I don't have any closer connection to God other than being 10 inches higher than you are right now uh, than you do. And we don't have any closer connection, any more access to Jesus than all of those kids in Kids Zone. And in fact, I would probably guess that Jesus would listen to them before he would me sometimes, because they come a little bit more with innocence and honesty than I might at, from time to time. We all have equal access to Jesus. So Jesus calls them and he blesses them. And he says that the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. So what's the kingdom of God? If you're not uh, regularly here, you probably don't hear this talked about as much as some of the others. Uh, so the kingdom of God is kind of the central teaching that Jesus has all throughout his ministry on earth. It was the main thing that he was talking about. And this was the idea, the concept 
that through his life, death, and resurrection, that God's rule, his reign, his power had broken into our world and was continuing to break in more and more powerfully. Day by day, it's growing. And through that power, he's brought salvation and freedom to us. He's brought a deeper relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit than we could have known before. And he's brought more and more freedom and wholeness and healing from the things that threaten to grab a hold of us. The things like sin and addiction and illness and pain. He's brought more and more freedom and healing from those things. This is the kingdom that we're supposed to receive like little children. Now, real quick, he's not telling us to become little children. He's not telling us to regress to the state of a four-year-old. That's not what he's getting at here. Uh, that's not close to what he's getting at here. I think within his context, we start to see pretty clearly what some of the things that he wants to teach us here about how we're supposed to engage with him. Because what are children like in this scenario? First, kids come to Jesus without any status and without power. We're supposed to receive the kingdom without status and without power. If you have your Bible open, flip back one page uh, to Mark 9, 35 through 37. It's another instance of Jesus and kids. Here's what it says. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child who he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. So another teaching moment here. Jesus had just caught the disciples doing what they do best, which is arguing about who was going to be the greatest, who was going to be the most powerful. They like to do this pretty regularly, even though they got yelled at every time. But it seemed to be a pretty, you know, pretty big hobby for them because they had this idea in their mind that Jesus was going to knock out the Roman Empire and resurrect, so to speak, the kingdom of Israel to its place that it had prior been in the time of David and Solomon and others. They thought that he was going to come as a literal king of a literal kingdom in, on earth. And so they spent a lot of time trying to figure out, okay, so when he gets his throne, which one of us get the seat closest? Who's got the most power? And so they'd argue and they go back and forth where they're like, well, the 12 of us are on the same, you know, the same level at first because we were the, the first 12 called. So of course we're the most powerful. That, that's just how it goes. We've been in it since the beginning, right? You get the biggest percentage of the profits at that point. So who gets to sit closest to Jesus? And that's what they were arguing about here. And Jesus hears that and he says, guys, come on, you're killing me with this. And he says, you got it so far backwards I'm not even going to deal with the fact that you still think that it's a literal kingdom that I'm bringing. Let's just talk about your attitude towards it. And he says, like, you're worried about who's going to be closest to me? If you're closest to me, that means you're last. It's like the least amount of status and power that you can possibly get. The closest you are to me, the first will be last. And the most important thing is to be a servant. And then he does this funny thing. I, I kind of pictured them all sitting in a little circle, you know, because that's how the disciples and Jesus always were, like sitting cross-legged on the ground, you know, in a little circle. And 
Then a little five-year-old walks by and Jesus just grabs him and he plops him right in the middle and he's like, see, you need to be like this. This is who you have to be like. You need to welcome those that are like this little kid. And the little kid's probably like, what's going on? Jesus, what are you doing? I don't even know who you are. Who are all these strange men? But he says, you need to welcome me like this. You need to welcome people like this. And what he was saying is, you're so focused on who has power, on who has status, on who can make you wealthy when the time comes, on who can make you look the best when the time comes. And you know what you need to be really focused on? You need to be focused on who has none of that, who doesn't have any wealth, who doesn't have any power, who doesn't have any status, who can't give you anything. Welcome them. Make them the focal point of my kingdom because that's what I'm all about. Welcome me as you would one of the insignificant ones, so to speak. In both of these encounters in Mark, Jesus is teaching us that love is more important than power and that power in the kingdom of God can be a problem. Henry Nouwen's one of my favorite authors, and he has to say this. He says, power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. It seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people. Easier to own your own life than to love the life that you've been given. And I think that's dead on with the temptation that we're given time and time again. We're constantly tempted to say, it would just be easier if I had total control, if I could be God, if I could be the one running the show, if, if I could be in control if my life was mine instead of the one that God's leading me on, it would be so much easier. It, it feels so much more natural to me. And that's the temptation that we see the devil give to Jesus. One of the three times that he's tempted, uh, when he's in the desert, the devil takes him to this really high place and he has him look over all the kingdoms and he says, all you got to do is just bow down quick. Just one knee up, you're good. And I'll give you all of this now. You don't have to die. You don't have to go through all the suffering that God wants you to go through. All you got to do is just bend the knee to me briefly, and then I'll give you all of this right now. He's tempted to power, and of course, Jesus tosses it right back at him and says, like, no game. But he does the same thing to us all the time. We're constantly tempted with, you, the no, you know better than God, tempt. And we, we're tempted that by thinking that we can fix the problem better than God, that we can fix people. And at the very least, we can fix people a heck of a lot faster than God ever could. Anyone ever dealt with that one? Like, I know exactly what this person needs. That we can own our own lives instead of following the path that Jesus has laid out for us. The enemy does a great job of tempting us to grab power over love because it feels easier, it feels more natural to us to choose control over the cross and to choose leading versus being led by Jesus. I think that's one of the greatest temptations that we have as followers of Jesus. Power is a serious temptation. And part of the difficulty that we have with this is that the opposite side of the coin is powerlessness. And we do not value powerlessness at all, right? What do we equate powerlessness with? Not having a spine, 
being walked all over, being easily controlled and manipulated by other people, not having a say in our own life. When we say that you're powerless, that's kind of what, what comes into our mind. That's not a pretty picture. That's not a picture that we, we want to live out, right? I don't think any of us want that. Uh, even if we're in situations where we feel like that, we don't want that. But powerless in the kingdom of God is not synonymous with hopelessness, abuse, and deficiency in value. Powerless is not synonymous with hopelessness, abuse, and deficiency in value. They're not the same thing in the kingdom of God. And instead, in the kingdom of God, powerlessness is a willingness to hand over control to Jesus out of a deep love and a deep desire to be led wherever he will lead with absolute trust in his leadership. Powerlessness in the kingdom of God is a willingness to hand over control to Jesus out of love and trust in where he's going to lead you. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. There's nothing spineless about that. There's nothing weak about that. In fact, it's a heck of a lot harder than the other alternative. Jesus is saying, if you want to receive the kingdom of God, if you want to receive what I want to give you, then you need to, you need to let go of your power and you need to take up love and trust in me. Back to Mark 10, 15 says, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. You will never enter it if you don't receive it like a child. That's pretty rough. That's serious. You know, the kids in this encounter came, they came without status, they came without power. They were also led by their parents, we're told. They didn't probably even know what they were going to. They were like, oh, Jesus, that's fun. You know, like maybe, you know, it's like a famous guy. Maybe he'll mess with my hair. Then I'll never wash my hair again. Shake my hand and then I never wash my hand again. You know, that sort of uh, celebrity thing that they thought was going on here. Who knows? But they came just being led by their parents with open hands, kind of open to expect whatever it is that Jesus wanted to do, whatever was going to happen. They probably weren't even that innocent because... Kids actually aren't that innocent, right? I'm learning this one, right? So, so encourage me in that. They're not always correct, right? Uh, they're not always innocent, but they came. And they came with open hands. And their lack of expectation allows them to receive what Jesus wants to give them and to receive it with hope. We, on the other hand, tend to come to Jesus with a lot of expectations, Right? You know, we come with our, like, our long laundry list. We got like 10, 15 things. We're like, well, Jesus, today I need you to do this and this and this. And the whole time, if we're being honest, we probably only expect that he might do one or two of them. We don't actually think he'll do all of them because uh, we kind of don't have enough faith to believe that he would actually do all of them. And we're kind of critical about it. We're like, well, if he does one thing, I guess that's okay. It's not really what I wanted but I guess I can kind of deal with it. We struggle to have hope that we're actually going to be taken care of by Jesus. Kids come with much more openness and acceptancy to that reality. And I think Jesus is inviting the disciples, those that were listening, and us today to receive from him with hopeful expectation, to be willing to lay down our expectations 
and to just say, okay, Jesus, I trust you. I know you're going to give me something good. So whatever that will be, I'm willing to take it. I'm not going to put some uh, big list on you and say, you have to do these things. Otherwise, I'm not willing to take what you're going to give me. Otherwise, we, be, we end up being just hugely disappointed with Jesus. We're constantly looking for something else, kind of something other than. We need to receive what we're actually being given by Jesus and not keep pushing it away because it doesn't look the way that we want it to look. And we need to get rid of the idea that we can earn it and that we have earned it. So again, with kids, how many of us have ever gotten desperate when you're watching kids? It could be your own kids. It could be your niece, nephew, grandkids, your friend's kids, your babysitting. And you're like, I just need you to be quiet for two hours. That's all. Like, I just desperately need this right now. Maybe you're getting ready to go someplace and you're like, this has been the day from you know where, and I don't think I have the strength to be able to take you out in public right now, but I have to do it. I have to go to this meeting. I have to go to church. I have to go to the store because we don't have any food, which is why you're screaming at me, but I still have to go to the store. And you just take the kid. You're like, this is all I need. I just need you to behave <laughs> when we're there, just in public. That's it. Small things, small steps. Just behave in public, please, and I'll give you whatever it is. <laughs> I will buy all of the toys. I will buy all of the candy. I will take you to wherever it is that you want to go if you'll just give me an hour. And so, of course, what happens? The kids are like, oh, this is great. I'm done. Nice. Let's get this stuff. So they behave. They're perfect. Afterwards, they get the stuff. They get what they wanted. Now, of course, this is bribery and, you know, no judging on that because that happens. But with bribery, you're actually still earning it. You, you did what was required of you. And then you got the end result. You got what you were promised. It may not look like a paycheck, but you're still getting what you were promised because you did what you were supposed to do. There's still a measure of earning it. And you know, honestly, I think sometimes we come to Jesus and we think we've earned it. We think God bribed us. I think sometimes we come to Jesus and we're like, you know, you gave me those 10 rules and I've done them. You gave me those things that you wanted me to do for the past six months, and I've done it. So pay up. Give me what's coming to me, because I gave you what was coming to you. We act like Jesus has asked us to behave so he can look better or something. Like we've earned this whole thing, and we couldn't be further from the truth, from the reality of how this works. Jesus does not bribe us, and you have not earned it. He didn't save us, care for us, bring us to wholeness and freedom because we've done what he asked from us. Now, most of us would never admit to thinking this way, of course, but it creeps into our theology when we go through bad times. When we go through hard times, it starts to show up because we get a little indignant, a little angry, and we say, hey, give me what's mine. I asked for this, and you didn't give it to me. You haven't given me my part of the bargain when things aren't going the way that we hoped that they would go. And here's the reality. 
the kingdom of God, this gift that Jesus says that we're to receive like children, is not ours to earn. We have done nothing to earn it. We didn't create it. We didn't die for it. And most of the time, we don't even really live for it that well. However, it's never been free, and it's always been paid for. Jesus created it. Jesus died for it. Jesus lived for it and is still living for it. And he gives it to us for free. We cannot earn it but he still gives it to us. He's given us this tremendous gift. And the only way that we can receive it, he says, you're, you're out if you don't receive it in this way. That's how like, harsh he gets about this. It's the only way that you can receive it is with open hands, with no expectations, with no status or power, with just joy at being given, what your father wants to give you. You have, the only part in the equation that you have is to say thank you. You have no other role in this scenario. And uh, about 20 years ago, there was a movie uh, made uh, in Vietnam. It's called Three Seasons. And it's a, a series of, of three stories that are kind of intertwined and going at the same time, kind of connected to the Vietnam War, some are not. But one of the main storylines is about a man named uh, Hai, who was a uh, rickshaw driver, which is a bicycle cabbie, and a woman named Lon, who Hai has, of course, because it's a movie, fallen deeply and madly in love with, right? It's one of those movies. Uh, and Lon's life is kind of filled with opposites. She's a prostitute. And so every day she works at this hugely fancy, nice hotel. And every night she's kicked out onto the street to go back to her home that's in extreme poverty that she knows she can never work her way out of by doing what she's doing, but she has no other way to be able to live to be able to make it. So she's stuck in this cycle. And Hai falls in love with her and wants desperately to bring joy to her because her only, her only dream, and this is a little sad, but this is, her only dream was to just spend an entire night in that hotel room by herself, laying on that comfortable bed without being used and without being kicked out. That was her only hope in life. So High enters this rickshaw race, and he wins, because again, it's a movie, so that's what happens. And of course, when he wins, it comes with a lot of money, more money than he could have earned in a year, definitely more money than he could have ever saved on top of what he was earning. And so he takes that money, and he goes and gets Lon, and he takes her to the hotel. He rents a room, and he pays her fee. They go up to the room. Now, she's expecting at this point for things to go a certain way. I don't need to fill in the blanks with you on that. And so they go into the room, and she starts to kind of, you know, get ready for what's expected. And he says, no. He says, all that I want is for you to enjoy this for one night. All I want is for you to be able to sleep in that bed without anybody else bothering you, without anybody else using you, to be able to have that dream 
fulfilled for one night. And of course, that wrecks her. She leaves the next day. She's unable to go back to prostitution because she's just been, you know, that, that love, that gift was too much. Even though she had no other way to make money, she didn't know how she could kind of make it. But that gift had changed things for her too much. Jesus's gift is pretty similar. The worship team wants to come back up. Jesus with all power, with all wealth, so to speak, with everything at his fingertips, has taken us, people who deserve nothing, who aren't owed anything, who could never have worked long and hard enough to be able to receive it, and he's just given it to us. He said, these are your dreams, here you go. He brings us to himself. He loves us in a way that changes us deeply, that kind of wrecks us on the inside for good. He brings us the kingdom of God, the gift of salvation, of freedom, of ultimate healing and wholeness. And he says, it's all yours. All of it is yours. Not just for a night, but for forever. It's yours if you follow me. We can't earn it. It's without strings. It's without bribes. It's just ours. And it's being given to us. It's greater and more powerful than we could ever imagine, than we could ever hope for. And the only way that we can receive it is like a child. The only way that you can receive this gift is without power, without status, without expectation. The only way you can receive it is just with a joyful hope and the love and the goodness, the greatness of Jesus and what he wants to bring to us. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray and then we're going to go into a time of worship. But this morning, I just want to encourage you to receive. Receive from Jesus what he wants to give to you this morning. Don't try and uh, work out a deal with him. Just let him give it to you because he wants to pour into us this morning. So let's pray. Jesus, we just say thank you. We thank you for your gift for your many gifts. We thank you that you give to us in ways that we can never work out, that we can never earn, that you don't even want us to be able to earn it. You just want to give it to us. We thank you for that. Pray that this morning that we will be so deeply aware of your love that we will be changed, that we'll be so deeply aware of your movement in our hearts and in our lives that we'll have no chance but to leave here, no choice but to leave here changed. Because you're moving in us. Your love has wrecked us in a very good way. Let that be our reality this morning. Just say thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, Jesus. In Jesus' name.